Please will you turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to read together just the last two verses of Paul's letter to Timothy. We are bringing the series Contending for the Gospel to an end this morning uh, as we look just at the last uh, two verses uh, of Paul's letter to Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, reading verse 20 and 21. O Timothy, God, the deposit entrusted to you, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Just so far in God's word this morning. So as I've mentioned, we come to the end this morning of Paul's first letter to Timothy this morning. It's a letter which as we saw from the very beginning, by extension, was also written to the church in Ephesus, and by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, is written to us as the Honey Ridge Baptist Church in 2023. And the overarching theme of this whole letter uh, to, from Paul to Timothy has been for the church in Ephesus to contend for the gospel to support and to guard and to fight for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ against all the many and varied attacks which it faced. So I wanna ask you a question this morning. How important do you really believe the topic is for us as Christians in Johannesburg in 2023 to contend for the gospel? How much danger do you really think we are in as Christians and as a church when it comes to this issue of losing our firm grip on the truth of the gospel? If I were to perhaps ask you this morning to list the primary way in which Satan is seeking to undermine the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, what would your answer be? Would you instinctively think about the undermining of the gospel, Satan's attack on the gospel? Well, although there are certainly many places in our world, in our society today, where the gospel is blatantly rejected, where false teaching is openly anti-Christian, anti-gospel, we need to realize that generally speaking, the devil is way more clever than that. His approach is usually way more subtle than simply launching an outright attack against the truth of the gospel. No, Satan's tactics are often far more dangerous and far more subversive. Satan's main strategy against Jesus Christ and against the church is to get us to slowly and subtly no longer see the importance and the centrality of the gospel as the main thing in our lives. I think it's Stephen Covey, it's been attributed to him the following statement, although the idea expressed by him in this quote is not new, um, and yet it could not be more true of the gospel and what we are speaking about today. Covey said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And he wrote that in the context, I think, of business books and focus in, in business. But C.J. Mahaney, a pastor in the States, in his excellent little book, The Cross-Centered Life, he gave the book the subtitle, Keeping the Gospel the Main Thing. And in his book, he quotes Jerry Bridges on this, and he says, 
the gospel is not only the most important message in all of history, it is the only essential message in all of history. Yet we allow thousands of professing Christians to live their entire lives without clearly understanding it and experiencing the joy of living it. John Stott echoes the sentiment. He says, all around us, we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, and in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. So as I read those last two verses in Timothy's letter, we, we might be tempted to, to come uh, and read those last verses and say that Paul is just once again beating the same drum, beating the drum that he's been beating throughout the letter, uh, the drum of warnings again and again and again against false teaching and false gospel. And if that is your view, as I read those last verses, ach no man, not false teaching again. I think that's the confirmation that we need to actually sit up and take notice because it reveals that we may already have fallen prey to the tactics of the evil one. We may already be uh, in the process of fumbling the gospel. And if we are, it won't be long before we have dropped it altogether. And so as we come to these last two verses, some scholars think that these final words of the letter uh, to Timothy were written by Paul himself to Timothy in his own handwriting. Uh, if we read through the letters of Paul in the New Testament, you will see that it was normal practice uh, in those days, and particularly for Paul, to have written his letters by means of an amanuensis. An amanuensis was a personal assistant who would write down word for word what the apostle Paul was dictating. Uh, and we know that it was often Paul's practice to then take the pen from the amanuensis and to write the final greeting in his own hand. Uh, we see that specifically in 1 Corinthians, in Galatians, Colossians, 2 Thessalonians, and also Philemon. And so although it's not stated specifically in this letter, it certainly seems that this is also the case as, as Paul perhaps picks up the pen and the paper from his amanuensis, Maybe he took an hour or so to just read and reread the letter to make sure that everything that he had dictated was, was correctly scribed down onto paper. And then he takes the pen and passes on his final greeting to Timothy as he closes the letter with those words, Oh, Timothy. Now, this is not the O oh of, Oh, by the way, Timothy, I, I forgot this. It's not a P.S., no, in the Greek, this is an emphatic, direct marker. It's, oh, Timothy. This is the groaning of a father as he pleads with his son to take special note of what he's about to say. We actually see a very similar expression in Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, which was similarly addressing this whole issue of false teaching and calling the church back to the truth of the gospel. Paul starts his, his letter to the Galatians like this in chapter one, verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to another gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then in chapter three, verse one, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, 
Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You see the burning urgency in Paul's heart to rescue the Galatian church from the errors of another gospel, a, a false gospel which he says is really no gospel at all. It's, it's not good news, it's bad news. And so he says, oh, foolish Galatians. Similarly now, he closes off his letter to Timothy. The weight of, of his burden for Timothy and for the believers in Ephesus causes him to say, oh, Timothy, follow these final instructions. I'm going to give you three there's one positive and two negative, but I'm gonna turn the negatives around this morning and we're gonna consider them as positive commands that we should take home as we listen carefully to the burden of Paul's heart at the end uh, of his letter. And so firstly, Paul says, "Oh Timothy, protect the treasure of the gospel. It's the first part of verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Now let's start this morning with this idea of the gospel being a deposit, because then we will better understand what it means to, to guard it. Now firstly, this word translated as a deposit refers to something of great value which has been consigned in trust to another person for faithful keeping with the full and clear expectation that it will be protected and then returned back in full. Now we're familiar with this, I think in our modern day when you purchase a house, the deposit, which may be a small portion or it may even be the full amount, it is placed in the transfer attorney's trust account. It's, a, it's an account where the money is placed in trust for safekeeping until the terms of the contract have been fulfilled and then the full amount which has been entrusted to the attorney's care is then paid over in full to the seller. Another way to understand this is at a Christian wedding. When the dad kisses his daughter and shakes the hand of the young man, what does he do? He entrusts his daughter to her new husband. You see, a daughter is a gift from God to us as parents, sons as well, but, but daughters especially. They're a gift from God to us as parents. We are stewards of this incredible gift. We are to as parents present our daughters back to God one day as a, as a woman who loves the Lord with all her heart. And so when the day comes when a dad gives his daughter away in marriage, he is entrusting her to her husband as an item of great value for safekeeping, to be guarded and protected and nurtured with the full and clear expectation that she will be presented back to God one day in full. This is the idea that Paul is drawing on here, that Timothy, that the church in Ephesus has been entrusted with something of great, great value to carefully guard and protect until it is delivered back to its rightful owner in full. 
So what is this deposit? Well, it is nothing less than the gospel. We see just a few verses on, and you'll say, well, Clinton, there aren't a few verses on, so please turn over to 2 Timothy. Just a few verses on in, in Paul's second letter to Timothy that he writes just a couple years later. He, he hasn't moved on from the gospel. Paul doesn't say, I'm kind of moving on now in my second letter, Timothy, to more important things. Now he starts again where he ended to remind Timothy to keep the main thing, the main, main thing. But now he explains more clearly what the treasure of this deposit is. If you look at chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, you'll see Paul again clearly explains the gospel to Timothy. And then he goes on in verse 12. And he says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Notice the logic. God is able to guard what has been entrusted to me. How does he do that? Follow, Timothy, the, the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, God, the good deposit entrusted to you. And so this deposit is nothing less than the treasure of the gospel. It's that which has been taught and handed down from Paul to Timothy. It's that which Timothy and the church in Ephesus and all who follow Jesus Christ have come to receive and believe. And now we are called by God's power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. But this phrase also speaks very specifically then of the nature of the deposit. It's not just in terms of its value, but also in terms of its content. This is not the invention of man. The gospel is not ours to invent. It's not ours to, it's not the pastors to come up with. It's not the Sunday school teachers to play games with. It's not the youth leaders to entertain with. It is the gospel of God. It is his truth. It's been entrusted by God to us. It's his message of salvation. He determines every facet of the diamond that is gospel treasure. And it's been entrusted to us. Not to mess with, not to add to or remove the parts we don't like, but to guard and to protect and to pass on without modification. We see this very clearly in chapter two as well of Paul's letter to, the second letter to Timothy, chapter two, verse one and two. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, same word, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, who will be able to entrust the same gospel to others also. Similarly, a few verses later, Paul emphasizes the nature of this deposit, that it is God's gospel and the only person who is received ultimately by God as one who is approved one day are those who handle this gospel faithfully. He says in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
rightly handling that which has been entrusted to you. And avoid, avoid irreverent babble. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. So let me ask you to really think about this today. Are you doing your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved, who has no need to be ashamed because you in your daily life, in your quiet times, in your discussions with believers and unbelievers throughout the week, in your Sunday school lessons, in your Bible study talks, in your WhatsApp messages to your friends, in your status posts and your Instagram posts, are you rightly handling the word of truth? Are you guarding the deposit of the treasure of infinite value which has been entrusted by God to you? Or are you part of the problem which John Stott describes that all around us we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it? How many messages do I get in the week sent with best intentions, I'm sure, from people who send me a verse with a little something or other and it is an utter misuse of the word of God? It's not even fumbled, it's like an egg that's been dropped on the floor, but it comes with a nice flower in the background and so it must be good. No, are you rightly handling the word of truth? Or are we in danger of letting it drop from our hands altogether? In the second place, we see that positively, Paul says, oh, Timothy, pursue the truth of the gospel. Now let's look at how he says it negatively. Just turn back. If you've moved into chapter 2 Timothy, come back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Look how he puts it negatively. He says, O Timothy, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. In other words, in order to protect and guard and treasure uh, the gospel which has been entrusted to us, Paul says that Timothy must avoid, have nothing to do with all irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So there are two things here which Paul is, is urging us to avoid like the plague, and that is really how Paul views false teaching we saw in chapter 2, verse 16, that irreverent babble, um, in 2 Timothy 2, 16, he says, irreverent babble leads people into more and more ungodliness, and it spreads like gangrene. What, is, uh, what an apt description. Gangrene is the death of body tissue because of a lack of blood flow. And Paul implies that irreverent babble and so-called knowledge, which is not in line with the truth of the gospel, it literally chokes the supply of spiritual life out of a person, and it leads to death, and it's a spiritual disease which will spread throughout the church. And so firstly, he says, in order to pursue the truth of the gospel, we must avoid irreverent babble. Previously in chapter four, verse seven, he spoke of have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And so this irreverent babble is talk and conversation which at its core 
is just simply worldly. It's worldly and it's godless. Now, please take note, that does not mean that it's necessarily anti-God. It doesn't mean that it's anti-Christian. But it is certainly talk which is devoid of any reference to and appreciation to God and to the gospel. In other words, it's the talk of the city of Vanity Fair in the story of Pilgrim's Progress. Talk which is all about the fleeting comforts, superficial comforts and pleasures and treasures and trinkets of this world. Some translations call it foolish talk in the sense that the fool says in his heart, there is no God, Proverbs 14 verse one. In other words, it's, it's talk that is spoken without any relation to God. It's disconnected from, it's spoken as if God does not exist. Now let me try and be very practical here this morning because we are increasingly living in a, in a world where we don't talk that much face to face. But we are immersed in visual communication. And as the old saying goes, a picture is worth a thousand words. So think about how much time you've spent in the last week scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or YouTube. How many images did you look at? Each image is worth a thousand words. And then think how much irreverent babble has been directed through your eyes into your soul. How much of what you scrolled through in the last week could be considered irreverent babble, foolish talk, silly myths, because it is all the conversation whether it's visual or audible, of vanity fair. Listen to John in 1 John 2. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to that, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life it's not from the Father, it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So that's the first thing, avoid that chatter, that which goes out of your mouth and that which comes in through your ears or in through your eyes, which is irreverent. It's got nothing to do with seeing the world through the lens of the kingdom of God. But secondly, Paul says, Avoid that which is falsely called knowledge. This is really the other side of the coin of Satan's deceptions. The one side is that which is irreverent, it's foolish, it's vanity. The other side is that which is intellectual, it's philosophical, it's knowledge. It's spoken of by scholars, by professors, by specialists, by experts, by preachers, by teachers, by bloggers, by authors. It's words of great reason and logic. It's, it's put forward as truth. It's paraded as science. It's believed to be knowledge, but it is devoid of God's truth. 
It gives no credit to God. It is never spoken of in relation to God. It's spoken as if God does not exist, or at best, if he does exist, he does not matter. And Paul calls all of that knowledge false. Now, here's where we have to be careful, because depending on your personality, the way you've been wired, your background, your education, each one of us tends naturally in one of these two directions. Either you are drawn to all kinds of irreverent babble and silly myths, all the shiny things of this world, or you are drawn to the contradictions of knowledge, the fruit of being enlightened, which is false because it's devoid of God's truth. So I would argue that unless we are purposefully intentional to positively do what Paul is urging here, which is to pursue the truth of the gospel in all that we read and all that we listen to and all that we watch and all that we say, I would argue that probably 95, maybe 98% of our daily communication, that which flows in and that which flows out, falls into one of these two categories, irreverent babble and that which is falsely called knowledge. So I hope you see that there is nothing neutral in this life. Everything speaks. Everything is communicating. Everything is shaping our thinking. Everything is cultivating desires within our hearts. And unless we are committed to pursuing the truth of the gospel, I love that video we watched earlier. Unless we are helping people, ourselves and others, to see that we are living in God's kingdom, both when we come to church on Sunday and when we go out to work and at home in our marriages and on the sports field and in our free time and when we watch TV, unless it all falls under the kingdom of God and our worship of God, we've lost the plot. And we will be passively absorbing on the one hand and actively consuming on the other hand that which is irreverent and false and which ultimately leads to the shipwreck of our faith. And so in the third place then we see that Paul says, oh Timothy, persist in the transcendence of the gospel. He says it negatively in verse 21. He says, for by professing it, in other words, the irreverent babble and this false knowledge, for by professing that, some have swerved from the faith. Now, the word professing, it means to announce something, but it's more than simply giving lip service to it. A profession of faith is what happens when someone gets baptized. They say what they believe, and it's a commitment to live what they believe. Is that what you commit to and engage in? And Paul says, those who profess this irreverent babble, those who believe in this false knowledge, have swerved from the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2 again confirms this. He, he gives two examples in chapter 2 verse 17. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But look at the transcendence. But God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 
So Paul is using here the language of, of a straight path, the path of truth and righteousness, which God promises in the new covenant to those who are his children. Listen to how Proverbs chapter four puts this. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from your mouth. There's the irreverent babble, the, the silly myths. And he goes on, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder, consider the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So here Paul is, is urging Timothy, he's urging us as believers to remain on the straight path of the gospel because its truth is transcendent. The truth of the gospel is not pliable. It's not a, a winding path with various twists and turns. It's not a kind of a general signpost to heaven, roughly that direction. No, it is the way of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Various times in Scripture, God sets before his people two ways, the way of life and the way of death. And he calls us to choose life. We see that in Jeremiah 21, verse 8, but I love the way Moses presents God's people with this in Deuteronomy 30. Moses says, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. So Moses pauses and he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. I hope you can see how clearly important the gospel is how the main thing is to keep the gospel as the main thing. For if we don't, we begin to drift. We begin to swerve away from the path of life. And as we saw previously in verse 10, those who wander away from the faith are pierced through with great suffering. What is the opposite of swerving away from the truth and being pierced through with many pangs of great suffering, let me remind you again of what Jerry Bridges said. 
The gospel is not only the most important message in all of history, it is the only essential message in all of history. If you only ever got one WhatsApp message in all your life, but it contained the gospel, and you believed it, that's all you need. And yet we allow thousands of professing Christians to leave their entire lives, live their entire lives without clearly understanding the gospel and experiencing the joy of living it. God has called us as his people to guard the gospel, not only because it is a, a, a treasure of eternal value, but it is also the source of all true joy for life here on earth. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44? The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then covered up, and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had, and he bought it. Are you pursuing the transcendence of the gospel? Do you understand it? Do you believe it? And are you truly experiencing the joy of living it? We need to close our time in God's word and bring this series in 1 Timothy to a close this morning. And, and we do so with the shortest of all the closing greetings recorded for us in Paul's letters. Verse 21, grace be with you. And the you there in the Greek is plural. And so some translations I think have rightly translated it, grace be with you all. This may appear just to kind of be a, an informal way to close off a letter, but for Paul it was so much more than that. So in order to understand what Paul means by that word grace, specifically referring to the grace of God. Please just quickly turn with me in your Bibles to the 81 verses in which 86 times Paul refers to the grace of God. Okay, we won't do that this morning. But let me just encourage you to go home, take your concordance, use one of the many online Bible programs available for free on the internet. If you can't do either, email me, I'll send you all 86 verses, just from Paul himself, and you will be so encouraged to learn what Paul means when he says, grace, grace be with you all. Paul started his letter with a greeting of God's grace and he ends his letter with a greeting of grace because for Paul, everything in between, everything he was, his salvation, his gifting, his calling, his equipping for the ministry, his strength and perseverance through suffering and persecution, his encouragement to persevere, his hope of eternal life, everything for Paul from beginning to end was bound up in the grace of God to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has given Timothy and the church in Ephesus and us as God's people here at Honey Ridge many warnings in this letter, many commands, many instructions, yes, many encouragements as well, 
in order to contend for the gospel, to protect it, to, to guard it, to, to live it out as individuals and to live it out as a church. And it may all seem just too much for us to do on our own. And that is exactly correct. But thankfully, as Paul already says in, chapter, in his second letter to Timothy, it's by God's power in me. It's by God's power in you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that he will guard what has been entrusted to us. Isn't that wonderful? We must do it, but it's his power at work in us which enables us. This is God's gospel. This is God's church. We are God's prized possession. We are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And so we can take heart today because we are the trophies of God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us hear the, and obey the call of God to us to protect, and to uh, sorry, to protect the treasure of the gospel to pursue the truth of the gospel and to persist in the supreme transcendence of the gospel. And in doing that, may the grace of God be with you all. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your word, your word which is true, inerrant, sufficient, the source of all life in the Lord Jesus Christ as we come to know him as the one and only Savior. We want to thank you today for the gospel, for the good news of reconciliation and salvation from sin and guilt and eternal condemnation that is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we who profess him not simply give lip service to Jesus, but truly may he be all that we are. May our lives be bound up in the grace of God to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and may that lead to a life of wonderful testimony and joy in the Lord as we seek to make you known until you return. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.